White Sox fans, welcome into the Sox on Tap podcast. It's Sunday Fun Day, Johnny Nani and NWI Steve coming at you here. Steve, how are you doing this evening? Hey, yo, Jonathan. Um, the Sunday scaries, they are starting to set in, especially after what we had to witness at the ballpark this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, White Sox swept at the hands of the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, not a whole lot fun to talk about this team isn't very fun lately steve it makes me sad and uh, i'm just waiting for our guy uh uh kim kim Al, jump in and uh tell us how we can't believe this is called sunday fun day still <laughs> uh, yeah no i uh i hadn't given that any consideration here but um given the fact that the sunday scaries are really setting in here i think we definitely need sal to hop in here and yeah. um make that declaration for us here that will officially Tell us we are off and running. Yeah, right. Uh, you can join the conversation as well. Uh, get in the YouTube comments section uh, on Tap Sportsnet on YouTube. Go like, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Jump in the comments there, and we can feature them right here on the show. Uh, unfortunately, cannot see Twitter comments, so uh, we appreciate your listenership over there. But uh, join the conversation by going to YouTube and Facebook as well. All right, um, Steve, Sox get swept by the Brewers. Uninspiring, but not totally um, surprising. No, it kind of went as expected. I think coming into this weekend here, look, the Brewers are a team that they have a lot to play for. They are clinging to a very narrow division lead over there in the NL Central, and they knew that they had to come in here and they had to take care of business against a piss-poor baseball team. And they found a way to do that. They found a way to come back and win a baseball game on Friday. And, um, you know, the last two days here, they kind of just – they did what they needed to do. They showed why they are a team that is in contention Teams like that in the Brewers' position, they find ways to win baseball games against dog shit teams like the Sox. What What was more disappointing? Friday, getting you know going up at least three runs, I believe it's five two at one point. Um, that slipping away with Aaron Bummer kind of tossing it backhanded over Yasmani Grandal's head, or was it on Saturday when we were there and Jesse Schultons pitched a pretty damn good ball game, uh, but was left in a little bit too long by the Royals bench coach. <sighs> If I had to pick one, I would say probably Friday just because, you know, you've got that three-run lead late in the game that you mentioned here. Um, the game last night, look, <laughs> um, Mr. Clean, you know, did what what he's been doing for much of the season here, making boneheaded decisions, showing that he is in over his skis, uh, that he is not qualified for the job that he has right now. So that's just kind of to be expected when you have an idiot steering the ship a lot of times they're going to steer it into the iceberg oh uh, <laughs> i love all the mr clean royals bench coach um what another one i saw cuban got you another name for him it's just ridiculous yeah uh it was unfortunate to see with jesse i agree though i think friday was just because you had the bigger lead um and then man aaron bummer just like Dude, I understand the peripherals, and I'm not knocking those because they do have their place in evaluation. But we've talked about it a number of times when it's just not all there in between the eyes, it is not going to work out in your favor. So you can chalk, sure, you can chalk some of it up to bad luck. But hey, when he's when the pitcher is the one making the error, sure, whatever for whatever reason that comes across as an unearned run, um, I still don't get that. Should be counted when the pitcher does it, right? 
Um, but either way, um, stuff like that is going to happen. I know it was weak contact, whatever. It, it, we've seen this movie over and over and over again with Aaron Bummer. Oh, and then today, you know, game was out of, you know, they weren't going to come back anyway. But uh, you get the uh, walk two guys and then give a home run. Uh, that's yeah not, i don't, not, I don't want to that's not bad luck that's just not executing <laughs> yeah i don't i don't want to hear about the fucking bad defense the soft contact shit when you're going out there when you're consistently pitching behind hitters you're giving free passes um and then you know there was a lot of the talk on you know the x machine about the fact that this was the first home run that he's given up all season okay great cool you put yourself in a really bad spot by going out there and giving up two walks leading up to that. So a lot of the things that happen out there, Aaron Bummer is just as guilty and just as responsible for the bad luck that goes against him as anybody else. And I know you and I have talked about this a lot, and I am a firm believer in it, that mindset matters when you are out there on the mound. You have to believe whether you are or not, you have to believe that you're the baddest motherfucker on the planet when you have that baseball in your hands. It doesn't matter who is standing in the box. It can be juiced up Barry Bonds. It could be Mike Trout. It can be whoever it is. You have to believe that when you have that baseball, you are going to get him out. And you look at Aaron Bummer, and you can just see that look in his eyes. He does not have that mindset. It's almost as if he's out there thinking, okay, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to not fall behind here and, and hopefully nothing bad happens. Fuck that shit. Go out there, pitch aggressive, pitch with intent, take the ball and shove it up somebody's ass. Right. It's a shame you can't couple that because the stuff he does have good horizontal breaking stuff, which can be devastating and lead to, you know, the, that weak contact that everyone talks about, the ground ball rate. Uh, I understand all of that, but man, um, like you said, pitching behind, you're putting yourself in a hole. So then any little small thing that does go wrong is potentially disastrous, as we saw on uh, numerous occasions this weekend. Um, okay, beyond that, I want to talk about one positive thing, and that was Jesse Schultons, because this guy put together another uh, quality start. And he is, you know, I don't know what, what his future outlook is, uh, but he's at least putting his hat in the ring to be an option in this rotation next year. He's going out there and he is doing his job when he's coming up his turn in the rotation. He's putting the team in a position to win baseball games and he's going out there. He's throwing strikes with consistency. And that's been one of the biggest things that has hurt this team all season. I touched on this before the season even started was the necessity to control the strike zone. Schultz has been doing that with consistency. He's not going out there. He's not giving up free passes. And when you are a guy that doesn't have, overpowering stuff that has been a long-term minor leaguer the way that he has he has i believe the understanding that he's got to go out there and he has to attack hitters he can't afford to just nibble 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 and give away free bases like the guy we were just talking about who has the vastly superior stuff right amazing the contrast between the two of them and to your point there jesse schultons has absolutely put himself in a position to earn starts on this team next season because there is going to be a lot of question marks and a lot of volatility in this starting rotation here turning to 2024. 
Right. And uh, building on that point, I, I will I know it's not the sexiest name. It's not the flashiest name. And people will make jokes and memes about it. And all understandable. I get it because, you know, when you're talking about being a competitive team. You obviously want um, a group of starters that is ideally all pretty well-known names. I get it. But um, give me the guy that, that is going to have it right, the mindset up there. And if you can couple that with control, uh, if you can couple that with, uh, you know, ability to just get outs, then I, I'll take that. So um, I'd also like to see it continue because we need the Jesse, we need the cook meme to continue. Maybe we can have a different pitching coach on that meme, but um, I want that to continue. That's a socks on tap specialty there. Listen, that meme is pure gold. Anybody who has watched Breaking Bad understands the reference and can certainly appreciate it. I know I sure as hell do. Um, and it's nice to actually just see us be able to get to use some kind of quality hashtag content like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like that. So th- I want that to continue. All right. Um, you, you got anything else from this week? I guess, you, you know, uh, Luis Robert was out. Yohan Mankata hit a home run. Um, Luis, you concerned about this pink? I know they say he's getting better and he was, you know, oh, not Friday, Saturday, and then he sits out the whole series, and then now it's Tuesday that, that they're looking for after the off day when the Sox play the Cubs. You concerned about Luis Roberts' uh, sprained pinky finger? Yes, because this organization has proven over the course of the last two, three years, they lie. They blatantly lie when it comes to the severity of injuries. You know, it was, uh, you know, he's day-to-day. He's going to be fine. You know, we're going to sit him on Friday. He'll probably be ready on Saturday. And then Saturday turns into Sunday. Don't see him except for a pinch running appearance over the weekend. So would I be at all shocked if we don't see him in uh, either one of those two games at that shithole nine miles north Tuesday, Wednesday? No, I wouldn't. Honestly, in which case, you know, we're going to get a lot of Oscar Colas in center field there. Uh, maybe a little bit of Trace Thompson. Who knows? But it wouldn't shock me at all if we don't see Luis Robert Jr. at all these next two games. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm in the same boat there just because you get like the pushback, pushback, pushback. And it'd be one. Honestly, I'd respect it more if they would have just, you know, OK, we're going to shelve them for 10 days. Get it. Get it right. We don't want this thing to linger. And uh, but one thing that even Pedro Grifol said in his uh, um, comments about it that. Um, you know, he's got that two-handed swing that he finishes through and is at the very end, whereas some of the strain was coming in on that pinky there. Well, that, that just sets off a little bit of alarm bells for me because we saw plenty of the one-handed swings last year, and that was ugly, 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 and they should have just shelved them. Yeah, they we definitely don't need a replay of that. Um, and that's, I think, one of the biggest concerns. And it, it was almost a year to the date that he injured the wrist in um, in 2022 there. So it's almost like deja vu all over again, given how well he has played this year. And he's really been the lone bright spot for this team the entire season and just hoping that he was going to be able to make it through the entirety of this 162 game season without any significant missed time. Well, now that's all in jeopardy here. And you know, you take him out of this lineup. What else do you really have to look forward to with this team? If we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah. It's uh Sunday scary hours. Yeah. That's where we're at. All right. We got a great comment in here. We're back talking about the rotation stuff. Uh, my boy, Mikey G says Dookie and Jesse are going to be the greatest one, two punch since Shaq and Kobe, your 2024 Chicago white Sox, ladies and gentlemen. Um, well, Hey, like I said, we're making jokes. We're making memes about it, but, 
if those guys do continue to show what they have been, they're, they're the ones leading it. They're, they're doing it on merit. It's not like it's just, you know, handed to them. They are actually earning it. So I, I do tip my cap to them in that case. Once again, not the sexiest names, but hey, they're doing better than, you know, other guys that have been in the minor leagues that we've heard should be, you know, knocking on the door, right? Well, that hasn't been the case. I know Charlotte's not the most friendly, but these guys are up here and actually doing it, showing that they at least deserve a look. And some of the sexy names that are here in the starting rotation right now are not performing the way that we were anticipating them to and the way that their prospect pedigree said that they were going to to this point. So at this juncture, it's about who is going to get outs. We still have six weeks left to go in this season here. Um, That's, you know, 40-some games that uh, have to be played here. You need guys to go out there and cover innings and get outs. And if they continue to do that, then they should continue to take the ball. I talked about this before. I know that with Tukey, the biggest issue with him is limiting the walks. That's what got him into trouble his last start against the Yankees there. That first you know, three innings, what did he have? Seven strikeouts to, to the first three innings there. And then all of a sudden in that fourth, he started falling behind in counts, issuing free passes. And then that's when he got into trouble. And that has really been the theme for him since coming up with the Sox here uh, a couple months ago is when he's throwing strikes and not falling behind hitters consistently, he's having positive results, but then he gets just prone to these bouts of wildness and then things have a tendency to go off the tracks a little bit. So if he can avoid that, keep going out there. Right. All right. I think that's a good breakdown pitching wise there. Um, I want to move in, pivot over to prospects. Prospects? We're talking about prospects? Yeah, we are because MLB Pipeline updated its top 100 list and issued uh, updated top 30s for each team. Uh, I wrote about both of those lists. You can go and check it out on tipsportsnet.com. But Steve, let's discuss a little bit. A lot of newcomers in the Sox top uh, 30 and then also um, one of those newcomers making the top 100 along with two guys that have been here a little bit, uh, Noah Schultz and Colson Montgomery. So overall thoughts on the re-rank. I think the top of the system at this point in, in the top of that 30 prospect listing there is kind of what we anticipated with Colson Montgomery, obviously the headliner in this group. Um you know, this is a number one pick from two years ago, and it's unfortunate that he had to miss the first, you know, three and a half months of this season with the oblique injury, costing him some of that developmental time. Um, you know, they're going to have to try to make up for it by sending it to the Arizona Fall League here to get some additional plate appearances uh, before things, you know, kind of shut down in late November. But he has been as advertised. He's gone to Birmingham and he has done um, pretty well to to this point here uh there hasn't been a ton of power but we're really seeing the quality plate approach and the patience that he was known for Uh, he was smacking the ball all around winston sam showing that he was simply too advanced for that level so getting him up to birmingham now again against that higher level competition this is what you really want to see and noah schultz you know number one overall pick from a year ago uh hashtag local product from oswego um he's going out there and he's making he's just carving up low a uh playing for the Canapolis cannonballers and you know maybe maybe just maybe he gets a brief cameo with winston salem for two or three starts to end the season here uh we've only got a couple weeks left to go in the minor league season so could that possibly happen yeah um they seem to be really slow playing him quite a bit 
to this point, but he has been like Colson Montgomery as advertised. And uh, he, he looks really good for the level. There are certainly scouts and prospect evaluators. Some of the ones that I've seen just casually on Twitter talking about this as top of the rotation level stuff. You know, this is a 19 year old kid. I still want to see more out of that. I'm, I'm not digging deep into this. I'm not tuning in, watching his starts um, every five days here, but the early returns have been very positive on him. Uh, then you look at Edgar Carroll, who was obviously the prime acquisition in the Lucas Giolito trade. Uh, a little bit of a mixed bag to this point, not seeing a ton of power out of him down in Birmingham. Uh, plate discipline has been, has been about as advertised at this point. And we've gotten some highlight clips of him throwing out base runners uh, behind the dish there, which is obviously a focal point for this organization needing to revamp the catching within the entire system uh, going all the way up to the major leagues, given the roster issues that we're going to run into next year. So the, you know, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag with him to this point, not seeing a whole lot of elevation out of him at the plate, not seeing a ton of power. So this is the one thing that you've really got to be concerned about with the White Sox from a developmental standpoint here is, are they going to be the team that is going to be able to help him tap into some of that power that is talked about in his scouting report? And, you know, unfortunately time is only going to tell on that. Yeah. I think that's a good breakdown of those three that made the top 100 list uh, on those rankings there. Colson Montgomery at 17, uh, Noah Schultz at 66 and Edgar Carroll at 87 overall. I was kind of impressed that Colson Montgomery was able to jump up the list. Uh, he jumped up from 38 at the start of the year to that 17 slot now uh, with being limited because he had the oblique issue and then a back injury. Um, that sidelined him. So um, that was interesting to see on that front. But I think you broke it down there perfectly um, with all those other guys. Um, let's shift over to the organizational top 30. Steve, 10 of these guys are newcomers to the organization um, this year. Uh, six being uh, from acquisitions trade, and then four of them are draftees from this year. So um, thoughts about some of these guys that uh, we got new newcomers to the White Sox organization. Well, I think it says a lot about just how barren the system was. You go back a month ago, the, the continual pipeline of talent that Rick Hahn and Nick Hosteller had talked about going back seven years ago as a means to try to sustain long-term success certainly was not there. And that's obviously a very frustrating thing to see. So having to try to guess right this time, plucking guys from other organizations, you know, we've, we've gone down this road before. It hasn't panned out particularly well. Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and ex or doing the same thing and expecting different results. I kind of feel like that's where we are right now. It's a situation that it's just show me, prove it to me at this point, because I'm not buying into it. I'm not sitting on my laptop watching games from a blimp up in Birmingham. Sal, hey, yo. And um, <laughs> I, I just, it's just so annoying that we're even at this point right now. Um, the one guy, you know, kind of outside of Colson Montgomery on the positional side that has been in the system for a while that I am 
interested in, I will say admittedly, is Brian Ramos because he's smacking the living shit out of the ball down in Birmingham since about uh, June 1st. I mean, he is just driving the ball with authority, hitting. It feels like almost every night he's hitting home runs for that team and being an impact bat in the middle of the lineup. I don't know if it was you and I, or I, I know I was joking with somebody about this maybe a year or two ago. That wouldn't it be funny if, you know, a group of Colson Montgomery, Brian Ramos, Jose Rodriguez, if those guys turned out to be better than the core group that was supposed to be of Tim Anderson, Aloy Jimenez, Yoan Mankata, Andrew Vaughn, uh, how funny would that be if, if these guys that are not those big household names that weren't the super prospect rank because it didn't have the high um, signing bonus figures coming out of you know the the Dominican Republic or weren't huge trade acquisition pieces if they turned out to be the ones that maybe led to a, a quasi successful run for this team. Yeah, um, it would be pretty sad. Uh, you were talking about, you know, state of organization. Uh, pretty sad in that regard because those, uh, like you said, highly touted uh, prospects, they were darlings of MLB Pipeline, all of Deloy Jimenez, uh, Luis Robert. Obviously, that one's looking like uh, it's on a better trajectory than the others, but Yohan Mankata as well, uh, being number one overall prospect in baseball. So, yeah, that would be a bit ironic um, if that were to happen with those other guys that you just listed. All right. I want to talk about a couple of SLS. <laughs> when does the new window open? Nobody knows. We don't know. <laughs> we're just we're just winging it here. <laughs> what when we get some new contractors to to install them? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but we don't remember. We're building on rock, not muck. So just you can take solace in that. So uh, two guys that I want to talk about. Um, and I wanted to ask your opinion because I, I'm not a huge Tony and I discussed a little bit. I'm not a huge, huge draft guy. So even going in, like I kind of just like I'm learning about these guys as the Sox make the pick. Um, but Jacob Gonzalez, their first round selection, he shoots up already at number four on this ranking. And I get it a first round pick. But what's the hype here? Um, I don't understand it because. There are a lot of flaws that seem to be mentioned in his little video package that gets played after the draft selection. Yeah, I don't entirely get it myself either. He seems to me like a relatively safe pick and a guy that you know doesn't have a super high ceiling, but theoretically should have a little bit of a higher floor to him. I've seen some people say that he you know could just turn out to just be a just a regular major leaguer, nothing great. And if that's, if that's what you get out of him, I mean, okay. But yeah, there's to me at the superficial level. And again, I'm not digging super deep into this stuff anymore. I don't see a, a huge carrying tool per se, um, you know, the walk rate in college was, was nice. And again, it seems like they're trying to instill something like that down in, in the minor league system with some of the guys that are getting, I think, particularly hitting from the left-hand side. So maybe there has been a little bit of an organizational shift to this point in realizing that, Hey, we need to target certain types of players, but 
again, there's not anything that he does or that I read in a lot of the prospect evaluations of him that makes me say, wow, okay, this is a guy that I really have to watch and really pay attention to. I think there's a key phrase you used there, and that was carrying tool. And I am fully on board with that because, like I said, in that little video package that gets played after the selection, the knock was a little bit about speed and dexterity in the field. And okay, whatever. Some guys are just not great fielders, but they can make up for it with the bat. Well, doesn't seem like he's a guy that's going to rip the cover off the ball with consistency, at least from what I've read. Maybe prove me wrong, and maybe there's a reason why he gets this four slot here, but um, I don't know. I'm just a little bit underwhelmed, or maybe whelmed is the best word to use uh, regarding Jacob Gonzalez. So we'll see. Once again, first ranking, first time appearing in this uh, after being drafted earlier this summer. Another name I wanted to bring up from the draft, uh, and I think this is the most intriguing one, and he's all the way down at the list at uh, 17, but George Wolko, is that how you say it? Wolko? Wolkow? <laughs> I, I think it's Wolkow. Wolkow, um, massive dude. Only 17 years old. He's like six foot seven, big lefty bat. Um, this one's intriguing. And I think this could be, this is a type of pick that White Sox need to take swings on. And I really hope that he is taking swings and launching balls, uh, you know, onto the concourse, Joe Borchard style. He is a physical specimen. <laughs> and like he's talked about to be six foot seven at the age of 17 and he's got a, a pretty wide build on him already there. I've seen people, you know, make that comparison. He's the left-handed Aaron judge, uh, no pressure or anything like that, but he definitely is impressive to, to watch when you see his video highlights and you see some of him just launching balls out there. And I agree with you hundred percent. That's absolutely the type of guy that they should be swinging for the fences with proverbially speaking, um, because that's, you know, high school guys, those are the ones that typically turn out to be your stars. If you look historically, and if you look over the course of the last 15 to 20 years, yes, there have been some really good college players that have gotten drafted top five, top 10 overall that have been superstar caliber players. But so many of your MVP perennial candidates are guys that were getting drafted and signing directly out of high school at 17, 18 years old, or signing at 16 years old out of Central America or, or Latin America. Those are the guys that the Sox historically have not gone after. And hopefully now they're maybe starting to realize the error of their ways and maybe trying to sprinkle in some more of those guys here to try to have a more balanced system. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good breakdown of it. And I think uh, what intrigues me, obviously the size, you just look at that and you go, wow, that, you know, for a 17-year-old being that tall, uh, having that frame that he does. Um, but I like those types of guys because like Luis Robert being a physical specimen, sometimes their physicality can negate whatever fuck-ups the White Sox are going to do along their development path. So it's like, okay, he could still not be getting the best instruction, but that doesn't make him any shorter. It doesn't make him any less strong, right? <laughs> I can attest to this as someone that, when I was a scrub pitcher in college, throwing 82 miles an hour, I got no margin for error. I missed my spot by an inch, two inches. I'm getting barreled up. You miss your spot at 96, 97, you've got some leeway there. That's where having physicality and having physical tools comes into play. And like you said there, it helps you to be able to overcome things that a guy like me couldn't because I was just an average guy out there.
right. you know, so that's uh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it flat. Like I said, it's flashy uh, in that regard, but it's like the old saying, you can't teach size. Right. When you're talking about, you know, uh, that type of thing in Wolkow's case. So um, that was interesting with the uh, top 30 prospects list. Once again, go and check out the breakdown of it on tapsportsnet.com. Got them all listed out, uh, both the guys that made the top 100 and then the new organizational top 30 on there. Um, okay. Now on to a few more acquisitions coming in. A White Sox just diving into the scrap heap, Steve. The number of acquisitions as of late. I know they did one at the trade deadline, acquiring a starter from uh, the Rays system that uh, it had a little bit of a run and some success years ago coming in. And then they kind of did the same thing with the Yankees top prospect who did uh, get some run COVID season kind of pushed him up there. Um, and then now we're getting uh, reports. There was the Tyler Naquin one and then um, Swaggerty is going to come in too per his wife's social media. Um, so the dumpster diving here, any of these going to work out, you know, 150th time trying it. <laughs> Rick Hahn's doing a hell of a job of amassing the top, 10 to 15 overall prospects from 2018. So, you know, we'll see how this pans out once in a while, you know, you can catch lightning in a bottle with somebody like this, that, you know, had the prospect pedigree has an organizational change and then is finally able to tap into something because a message gets articulated to them in a different way. And maybe just not having that, mental pressure of, oh, I was a number one overall pick with this organization here. I have this burden on me that I have to perform because of all that was invested in me. We've seen that happen before. Am I anticipating it happening with any of these guys? No, I'm certainly not. But could it happen? Sure. And given where they are this season, honestly, this is probably the type of stuff that they should do. There's really no risk to bringing in guys like this. If one of them gives you any kind of meaningful contribution at the major league level, I'm not talking about being a superstar or an all-star type player, but if you can get, you know, if you can turn Brett Honeywell into a multi-inning reliever, that's, that's a win right there. That's a guy that that one's a little bit different to me because he did have a good run in San Diego. And then it was just kind of recency, um, like a last three outings sort of deal that he really struggled and that led to his DFA. So I agree. Yeah. 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 Or, or even like a, like a Davy Cruz or, you know, um, with, uh, you know, who they brought over from, from the Yankees. Um, that was a guy that was very highly touted and, Maybe if you you tweak some things with his pitch mix or something, and if he can become a high leverage reliever, look at what we saw this season from Gregory Santos. This is the type of guy that you bring in, former top prospect, failed starter, try to turn him into a power back-end reliever. And that's how you want to go about building a bullpen right now instead of going out there and throwing – $10 million a year at the Kendall Graveman's and Joe Kelly's of the world. So those are meaningful, you know, from a thought process standpoint, I get it. Should anybody anticipate these guys panning out and being meaningful contributors to the next fluke White Sox playoff team? No, but if it happens, cool. 
Right. I'm in the same boat as you because, and like, I understand all the jokes that come about when you see this, like, like you just mentioned, I think that's a hilarious one. The Rick Hahn trying to accumulate the uh, 2018 uh, top 10 prospects list. I get all of that, but at the same time, what there's no risk. There's no risk. Oh, you, you, you got, you released Steven Piscotty, who is one of those names that you, you know, brought into triple a, um, okay. He's not there. Now it's Tyler Naquin getting the at bats. I, like you said, if it happens, it works out. You can't win the lottery if you don't play. Right. As the great Hawk Harrelson used to say, you can't win unless you play stone pony. Yeah. So I, I, I understand all the jokes and honestly, I welcome them. And I think it's funny. It's a good way to like cope with the state of this team right now, but, um, at the same time, I also don't see any risk to it. And if there, there was a reason at one point, these guys received said hype. So, you know, if what's the worst that's going to happen, they're going to lose a game for the Charlotte Knights as they're still working through whatever issues they have. Oh, end of the world. And even if they're losing games at the corner 35th and shields, given the way that this season has gone, it doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, honestly. So, again, you hope to catch lightning in a bottle and maybe get a guy that can be a long-term piece in your bullpen or, you know, maybe with – Bench outfielder. Yeah, 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 fourth outfield type guy. You know, okay, that's fine. Yeah, you you talked about them, you know, being here at 35th and Shields. Do you think any of these guys that are acquired are going to get some run this season? We're talking next few months. And what would have to happen for those guys to get here? Do you foresee um, DFAs uh, on the horizon, send downs, whatever it may be? You know, there's got to be something happening from a roster standpoint here. Um, Theoretically, and I don't know if you saw any of Mr. Clean's comments earlier today, that Corey Lee should be getting close to being ready to come up here. And I think when that time comes, you might as well just play him every day. Um, I know you and I had a pretty extensive discussion at the ballpark last night about Yasmani Grandal. Personally, if I don't see Yasmani Grandal wear a white sack uniform ever again, I'm fine with it. When When Corey Lee is ready, if they just go with a tandem of him and Carlos Perez for the remainder of the year, that's fine with me. We can we can do that. Um, if Jack Swaggerty, you know, come, comes up and takes plate appearances from Trace Thompson or Gavin Sheets, whatever, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter. But I, I would just think that when Corey Lee is ready, there's going to have to be something happening within the roster there. And... I just don't know what purpose continuing to give the at-bats to you as money Grandal serves at this point. Yeah, I'm with you on that front. I haven't really followed Lee since he came in. Do you have any update? How is he? I know he had the injury that he was just like coming back from right uh, when the trade happened. So he was whatever, like just getting activated with Charlotte. Um, is that a hold up still or is he looking okay there playing regularly or what? what's the deal with him? You know, Mr. Clean said that he he's playing pretty, pretty regularly at this point. He's I think he said something to the effect of he's getting his hits in there, just that he's not fully ready yet, whatever whatever that means. Again, there was some of the context behind the quotes was, was a little bit interesting to me, but for whatever the reason, they're, I guess, kind of slow playing it with him, um, in which case if you know maybe September 1st, if he's ready, I mean, hope you would hope, 
sooner, maybe for the next homestand. If, if he's ready, um, you know, you just bring him up here and get him a little bit of run and, and see what you got. All right. Another name that's, you know, kind of on the catcher front with Yasmani Grandal. Um, I feel like, you know, we're in the same boat there, but with Elvis Andrews, interesting situation here because that was the clamor right, right after the sell-off, right? It's like DFA Grandal and Andrews yesterday because they're veteran guys are not going to be around. They're not part of anything long-term here. Um, and I understand that from that like thought process standpoint. Um, however, I think Elvis Andrews is a little bit of a different story here because, um, of what he is in the clubhouse. And obviously we know about the dysfunction uh, that's gone on in there, but I feel like things could be even worse without his presence there. Um, and I it, honestly, once again, not really following these guys too close, but I feel like Lenin Sosa would have already gotten the call back up if he was worthwhile. <laughs> Me personally, I would prefer to just find out if Lenin Sosa is, you know, someone that needs to just be discarded or not. Um, I, I would like him to come up. I mean, it's entirely possible that he's nothing more than a 4A guy. He's going down in Charlotte. He's hitting the ball over the fence with a decent consistency there. But a lot of guys do that down there. So it's entirely possible that he may just be one of those 4A guys. I would personally prefer to find that out and see if he's not going to be someone in the discussion at second base next year. Um, you know, even you've seen the decrease in playing time for Zach Remillard. Why, why can't they maybe swap those two out right there? Um, you know, because this way, if you find out if Lenin Sosa isn't anything, if he's just simply an organizational guy, then, you know, you pivot to my baby boy, Jose Rodriguez, who came up for a cup of coffee and a pinch running uh, cameo in yeah, there. Played appearances. That was just yeah. wonderful management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr tremendous roster management from this organization here. I'd expect nothing less from them. But like I said, if you find out that Lenin Sosa can't do it, then you know that's just your starting second baseman down in Charlotte. And Jose Rodriguez now is the guy that jumps over him from a depth chart standpoint. And now you pivot to him and see if he's going to be anything. I just yeah. think that would make the most sense personally. You're right. They, they do need to do that. I, I understand that. Um, I, I guess my only, I, I just would like to posit that um, I respect Elvis Andrews enough to where I wouldn't want to discard him like trash, whatever it's, it's a business roster transactional standpoint. I get it, but I do respect him for putting up with, all the BS there and being a consummate professional through all of it. And I think that it just speaks to his character and I, I respect him for that. Even if the performance on the field isn't, you know, Texas Rangers, Elvis Andrews. Well, maybe then what the solution is, like I said, you send Remillard down, you bring Lenin up and you kind of have Elvis serve as that almost player coach kind of role i know a lot of people hate he might be the best it. coach in the white Sox dugout <laughs> it's entirely possible i'm not going to rule that out at all so honestly you probably could get more value from him in the dugout and in the clubhouse than you can on the field at this point and maybe that's the type of guy that you know can go to Lenin Sosa and say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing out here. This is, you know, how you need to approach this. This is what, you know, you need to do in order to have more success and, and try to establish yourself here. Um, 
Zach Remillard to me, look, it was a nice story. It, it was cool for a minor league journeyman to have that moment. I would kill to have been in his position to be able to make it to the major leagues and play for a couple of months, but he's not going to be part of the next fluke White Sox playoff team. So I just don't see the need for it. All right. I think that's a good wrap up of the sort of roster situation where we're at. So we'll see what happens between now and the end of the season. Like you said, I foresee some September call-ups will be interesting uh, to find out which guys actually do uh, get that call to the show. All right. We're winding down here on Sunday, Funday with socks on tap. Uh, we, we've got a comment here and this is uh, something that I think Tony and I glossed over a little bit, but um, Michael jumps in, in in the YouTube comments says hearing from some people that no Sox Fest again this year. That means Han, Pedro and all are back. Um, wouldn't shock me if this is the case. I know the official statement was that they would, uh, you know, no word on Sox Fest yet, but they want to do something to honor the fans. Steve, they, they're going to go and hide again. So I, if this, once again, don't know if this is, uh, you know, no exact public statement on it from the White Sox yet, but wouldn't shock me in the least if this is the case right here what's going down this organization is known for just pure cowardice so i would almost anticipate they're not being sox fest anymore there's several, part of, several factors oh, oh yeah several several factors gee i wonder what those several factors were there is part of me that kind of finds enjoyment in the canceling of Sox Fest. So grown dopes like Ken W.O. can't cut in front of little kids in line for autographs like the fucking loser that he is. Um, that kind of makes me smile a little bit, them canceling for that purpose. But, you know, Han and Ken Williams and Chris Getz getting off the hook, not having to face anybody, not having to give their bullshit lawyer answers. Um, it, it is it is therapeutic for the fan base in a sense to just be able to publicly voice that frustration to the idiots in charge. At the end of the day, none of it really matters because the ultimate coward at the top of the food chain there is the one that doesn't want to face the people. A lot of people in this town like to run their mouths and, and talk ill of Tom Ricketts for the for some of the things that he's done on the other side of town. I'll say this much for him. He at least faces the fan base. He at least stands in front of the firing squad there. Yeah, and he, he took booze when he announced Marquee, right? Exactly, exactly. Meanwhile, Jerry Reinsdorf, that fucking coward loser – you know, with <laughs> all of the Chicago media in town at the ballpark there trying to get questions from him, he won't even acknowledge their existence. So you know he's going to have his little stooge, Boob Nightingale, brew something up here in the coming weeks, and that's all we're going to hear from him because he's too much of a coward to face anybody that will actually ask him a real legitimate question about the state and direction of this organization. Yeah, there, there was a bunch uh, that, that was made out of that because he wouldn't give a comment. Uh, I believe his exact words to uh, the Tribune were just no in terms of no, I don't want to talk about what's going on when that whole media scrum happened prior to the Yankee series. And that is just so expected, so expected from the top there. Uh, but Steve, I think we need to hear Ken's, uh, you know, uh, 
addressing addressment of the uh, state of what's going on in the White Sox front office. Jonathan, I can assure you, accountability is not a problem in the White Sox organization. Rick, Chris, Jerry, and I, we are all very disheartened by the state of this season. And I can assure you, as White Sox fans, we are doing everything in our power to make sure that this doesn't happen again. It would help tremendously if we could get a little more support at the ballpark on a nightly basis. Frankly, that would put us in a better position to perhaps go out and supplement this team over the winter. But again, there is no accountability issue within the White Sox organization. <laughs> well said. Well said. Round of applause. Great, great impression there, Steve. I think that's perfect note to end this show on. So we thank everybody for tuning in to Socks on Tap Sunday Funday. Once again, go over, subscribe on YouTube on Tap Sportsnet. Jump in the conversation so uh, we can get your comments loaded up here. We can also do it from Facebook. So like us over there on Tap Sportsnet. Uh, jump in the comment section there. And unfortunately, Twitter people, we love you, but we cannot see your comments through uh, the stream yard here. So make sure you want to jump in with the comments over on YouTube and Facebook. And as always, check out ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. That'll do it. Uh, Sox got an off day Monday. They'll be in action on the north side of town uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday before heading out west to Colorado. So we'll check back in with you during the week here at Sox on Tap. Until then, have a great evening. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>